Hey everyone, this is Prashant and I'll be your host of the VC 10X podcast and today we have Pete Denny with us. Pete is a founding partner at Climate VC where they are investing in early stage startups that will drive material decarbonization of the economy and day-to-day life through both their fund and syndicate. The climate crisis is one of the greatest threats mankind has ever faced, but it is also one of the greatest opportunities to reshape our civilization. In this episode, we talk about how big is a climate opportunity, why more founders should build in the climate space, subsectors within climate, carbon credit market, and the major question facing us. Will we get there in time? So without wasting any time, let's dive straight in. Hey Pete, how are you doing? Hey, how's it going? Nice to be here. It's going great and uh, so good to have you. And I've been pretty excited about the entire climate ecosystem. We even did a mini research on this this thing that has now just suddenly cropped up. That okay, this big thing is now uh, like maybe five or ten years back, nobody was even aware that this is going to be an industry that people are going to be investing in. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to talk to you about your story, how you started investing and how you got into climate investing through climate VC. Mm, okay. So I'm a I'm a founder and an operator by background. Um I started my first company when I was twenty five um in Paris during the dot com boom. Uh, so in the late nineties. Um and you know that that was an e commerce startup. And I spent a lot of my time kind of partially in, in large corporates, uh, usually in the finance sector, uh investment banks, stock exchanges, hedge funds, um and in uh, in startups, uh, you know, so I've, I've done. I've started a couple of uh, consultancies. Uh, I've been involved in a lot of startups, helping them scale from just a few people in a room uh, up to Series A, Series B. Um, I've I've advised a couple of uh, companies or been uh, like on the exec of a couple of companies that have actually exited. Um, and it's only kind of later in life when I discovered, you know, how urgent the climate emergency is that I realised I need to stop doing all of that and, and start focusing full time on. On fighting the climate emergency, um, I had to think deeply about what it is that I could bring to the table because, you know, I've I haven't ever worked um, in an area to do with the kinds of things that need to change, you know, in in climate. So we, we need to change the way we make steel. We need to change the way that we uh, that we move around. We need to change the way that we generate energy. And I I don't have a background in any of that. Um, so I was wondering, should I should I do a startup? And I spent maybe six months exploring. Where is the best fit for me? Um, and then I realized, hang on a minute, I know a lot about startups, having worked in a few, advised a lot. I know quite a bit about money, having worked around money my whole life. Maybe I should do a fund. Uh, and so that was, that was the genesis of this idea. I had no idea how to do a climate, how to do a fund at all. Uh, so we spent about a year learning that, setting up, getting regulated. Uh, and then we, we actually launched officially about a year ago. Yeah, voila. Yes, sounds great. And I, I think that that's a dilemma that a lot of people are facing, that this looks like an exciting thing, but we haven't had a background in this space. So should we take a shot of this or not? Mm. And this is uh, true for like VC funds and even even founders who are, who are like thinking about what should be the next thing they work on. And I feel the, like the carbon market uh, or the climate space is an incredible space for them to get into and then uh, start or do a startup here because like there are multiple factors contributing of course like this is a rapidly growing space and there is an urgency factor and uh, I would like to talk, talk uh, like you to talk more in, us into how big is this opportunity and why should more founders try to jump into this uh, even if they don't have a prior ba- background in the space 
It's um, I mean, it's it's tens of trillions. That, that's that's how big the the opportunity is, and and it's um, it's there's a forcing function. So there's something that is there are several things that are forcing uh, a transition upon the world. Either uh, we go down one route where the the world gets really hot. You know, we it's four degrees, five degrees above uh, above pre-industrial levels. And life gets pretty hard for for most people. Uh, crop failures, weather disasters, regular wildfires, uh, you know, plague, etc. Uh, or we pull it off. We pull off the transition, and we manage to move to a world where we live in a way that is kind of more in harmony with with how we're supposed to be living. Where you know we're not over consuming resources, but where we're getting the best out of the planet that we live on. And if we do that, then almost everything about the way that we uh, live our lives will will change. Um, and if you if you take a body of research like example uh the drawdown project uh they they will look in all of the different verticals where we need to change so so building materials what needs to change in building materials what is the cost of the transition of changing the way that we build buildings what is the cost of that what uh if we implement that that cost then what is the potential uh co2e savings so co2 and its equivalents and and how much how much money is that going to generate? And in each of those verticals, um, these are I kind of top 100, 120 ideas. Uh, you, you can see that there's a lot of money to to be generated. So if you if you were to look at this purely as a kind of capitalistic um, concern, then there is so much money to be made here. So Larry Fink from BlackRock said the world's 1,000 next unicorns are going to be climate tech. Uh, companies. Uh, Jamal Palahapatia said the world's first trillionaire is going to be made in, in climate change. There's clearly a lot of money to be made here. Uh, but if you're interested in the impact side of things, i.e., do your your work as a as an as a technologist, as a as an operator, as a founder, your work. If you want that to mean something, then this is a very very meaningful way of driving change in the world. Right, absolutely, I agree to that. And like climate in itself is a big space and there are multiple subsect subsectors within climate. Uh, would you like to uh, give a glimpse of some of those subsectors and what they look like and how they operate? You mentioned one about the building one and you can tell us more around that. Yeah, so if you... So, so a good place to start with this is um, is either uh, the Drawdown Project if you've, if you've got a scientific mindset or or the Bill Gates book, um, if if you know, if, if you want a, an easier read, they're both great. They're both really great books. But um, Bill Bill Gates's book, in a very simple way, will give an overview of uh, right food. Food. Uh, what's the problem with the with the food uh, with the food kind of landscape? The the way that we make our food and move that food around, the way that we grow uh, cattle, the way that we grow crops, the way that we uh, treat our soil the way that we transport things around the way the, the way that we slaughter meat the way that we treat treat our meat is all very problematic and it's become problematic for all the right reasons right because the world's population has grown it's kind of doubled in in my lifetime and we need to be able to feed everybody right so the people who invented uh weed killer the people who invented um fertilizer people who invented uh agricultural mechanization fantastic they were doing that for the right reasons but we've we've got into this space now where although we're able to feed everybody, uh, it's it's working in a way which is very very short termist. Uh, it uh, you, you've probably heard this figure that I think there's like sixty harvests left, and then that's it. We've got no more soil left, so we won't be able to grow any more food. And that's 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 a kind of symptom of the fact that we 
we're just extracting too much from the soil. If you treat the soil properly, then the soil will actually feed your crops for you. And it will, so that means that, you, that the inputs, the, the amount of money that you need to spend on fertilizer goes way down. The amount of money that you need to spend on weed killer goes way down. Um, but so, so it's problematic the, the way that we do agriculture. Now, from a climate perspective, um, that's 20, I think it's 21% of emissions, 21% of global emissions come from agriculture. Um, so if we are emitting 51 billion tons too much CO2 every year, then 21% of that comes from agriculture. Um, so there's a lot that needs to be changed, you know, how we till the soil, if we till the soil, um, how we grow um, animals, how we um, how we act in harmony uh, with the soil. And that's a very, very interesting space. The soil is very complex. And yeah, so that, that's that's one way of looking at it. There's, there's like a financial aspect to this as well, which is, is that um, many farmers understand that the way that they, uh, the way that they operate is not sustainable. I mean, it's not sustainable business practice. As in, if you carry on doing this, then your business won't have a future. Um, but the thing is that it costs money to transition from from existing ways of agriculture to future ways of agriculture. So a, a financial way of looking at this is is to is to kind of create derivatives and things which can get m money to farmers early and start to treat them more as, uh, for example, uh, asset managers. So your land, if you're a landowner, then your land is an asset and that asset can be managed and it can generate money over the long term. So why wouldn't you treat the farmers as though they were asset managers? And so instead of the farmers paying you to work the land, you pay them to, to manage your, uh, your asset. That's... That's one example. Yeah, yeah, and that's very interesting and somewhat kind of similar to uh, what the carbon credits market is trying to do. I believe that you're kind of incentivizing farmers to take on these practices, protect those farms, and not give up their farms essentially to for industrialization purposes. So I, I think this is kind of a reverse industrialization kind of a thing that's starting to happen because of this carbon credits market, where companies like they, they're basically these restrictions on company. You cannot omit emit more than these limits of carbon and if you go with that limit then you need to purchase those carbon credits uh from others who haven't spent those or from the market so what's your take on that do you think that can help us like solve this on the agriculture front that afforestation can start to happen because of this incentivizing thing that's in place mm, yeah if, if that if that's just, i mean that system's not perfect but if it works well then then it should do two things one one is it should um it should provide funding for people who want to make the transition. Um, and the second thing is it should make life more and more uncomfortable for people who remain where they are. Uh, so a uh, an airline, for example, that, that, is, uh, that is pumping out a lot of, burning a lot of jet fuel, um, this should start to introduce uh, pressures for them to find new ways of, uh, of cutting costs. Um, and you, you've, you've maybe heard of... Um, like if you if you reduce the thickness of packaging on planes, or if you uh, if you if you make the seats lighter, um, or or even if you give people uh, two napkins instead of four four napkins, you know that that across your whole fleet uh, who who are flying hundreds of thousands of miles every year, that that can make a that can make a significant difference. But um, we we really need more fundamental change than that. Uh, you know, people need to fly less. Uh, airlines need to find ways of of, of burning of emitting less uh, CO two e. Um, so, so if if the system is the carbon credit system is working well, then then those are the behaviours that it should that it should promote. It's it's problematic at the moment because I think um, it can be seen as a as a source of of greenwashing. 
um, where people are just kind of paying what they see as like, oh, it's 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 a fine or it's a fee, uh, and uh, we're we're happy to we're happy to accept it. Like if uh, if your your child's play group uh, doesn't want you to be late for picking up your child, and they say, listen, if you are late, we're going to charge you ten dollars every time you're late. Some parents might think, ah, ten dollars, that's so cheap. Okay, great. I can pick up my child an hour later and not feel bad about it because I just spent ten dollars. Um, the carbon credit system doesn't work if if people start to see it like that. So the price of carbon needs to go up for it to for it to work properly. Which means if you're in a space that is selling carbon credits, great. Uh, the price of your of your uh, of your output is going up. A much more interesting space, I think, uh, and and one one which is I, I see kind of healthier and promoting the right kind of. Uh, the right kind of behaviors is is what they call the removals market and the, and there are there are some people who say listen let's stop using the word carbon credit let's stop using the word offset let's use the word removal instead because it's just a fact of life isn't it that if we decarbonize the whole economy right now there'd still be 150 years worth of uh co2 and its equivalents in the atmosphere that we need to remove uh, so anything in that space anything that is able to take co2 out of the air and store it away somewhere or, or, or convert it to a usage is super interesting and very big business right right yeah that, that's a great perspective on that and uh like in, in the combat market you can actually or in the climate space you can see actually two type of solutions that are coming up uh some of them are software solutions like there are maybe api companies coming up and then there are like one example of that is like uh, in india there is an app like whenever you go and purchase a product from an e-commerce app uh, so at the bottom there is a thing they ask you that do you want to like make this purchase carbon neutral so you can just stick that and then uh, they'll charge you slightly extra for that then it's neutralized so those like SaaS kind of solutions are coming up and then on the other hand there are hard tech solutions coming up that carbon capture we're going to convert the carbon maybe into ink or something else so uh how do you look at that spectrum and the kind of deals that you're seeing uh in uh like what you do every day we we see a lot of stuff in the in the software side of things. We we as a fund are not so interested in uh, in things on the software side. That's uh, that's our preference. There are other climate funds who who specialize in the software side of things. Um, I think venture capital as a whole has been very comfortable with software for you know for the past 40, 40 years, um, thirty years maybe, um, and so it's kind of a natural extension. It, it's natural for us to look at at software place and see listen a very low margin we can see they scale really quickly um, we, we understand how to reason about them um, it's not hard to find funding for for software place and it's for those reasons that we don't do that much software um, because we we want our the work that we do to be additional um, we want to show up where other people aren't showing up uh, the you spoke about uh, products where they measure the impact of an effect that you're having so a product that you're purchasing a trip that you're going on and they allow you to offset it um it's it's true there's a lot of stuff in that space um but i don't think that's driving the right behaviors um that's that the voluntary carbon market isn't it where where people can choose that the, the, the minority of people who a can afford to do something about it and b who are motivated to do something about it they're, they're in the minority um and i think what we want to do is, is actually try to drive behavioral change so when um can't remember his name now. I wish I could. But when there was there was there was a guy, an MMA fighter from the UK, who uh, who got injured and uh he wanted to know how can I heal my my leg faster 
Uh, so he did a whole bunch of research into nutrition and he discovered plant-based diets. Uh, and it, it helped him recover very quickly because of the inflammatory effect of, of eating meat. Uh, this is his argument. So he made this big documentary about which had Jackie Chan and Arnold Schwarzenegger and James Cameron and everybody involved with it. Um, and that, a lot of people who watched that video saw, hmm, the plant-based way of life doesn't look that difficult. I can see a lot of very strong and very fast, very healthy athletes eating, filling their faces with delicious food. That doesn't look that hard. I'm going to do it. So many people who watched that video went vegan, uh, you know, at least at least for a period of time. And that behavioral change, I think that's much more exciting than saying to people, carry on in the way that you're working at the moment uh, and you can pay a, pay a tax. Uh, so we, 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 we're very excited about anything that, that, that can drive behavioral change, although we admit, you know, we recognize that that's, uh, that's harder to do. Right, absolutely. And I, I think I saw, it was, I think, a Netflix documentary uh, wherein, like, the athlete told us, like, I, I've been on this plant-based diet and I'm, like, stronger than even the strongest of the athletes, something like that. And it, it was pretty exciting to see. And, uh, yeah. Was that the, the Game Changers documentary? Yeah, I think, I think something like that. I think... Uh, Game, game change. Yeah, I, I don't remember exactly, but I think it was a documentary, and I, I believe on Netflix, or at least on India, it was on Netflix. I, I don't know about where it was there, but yeah, interesting. So, uh, but talking about this uh, aspect wherein you're trying to drive behavioral change, and a big aspect of that is spreading awareness, because I believe that the majority of the people, maybe even more than ninety-five percent people, are not aware that their actions are actually having an impact on the climate. Right. How, how do we solve that problem? Uh, to like get to the people, tell them that maybe purchasing all these goods because just because you can is actually harming the uh, environment and maybe even shortening our lives. Right. And we are doing that. And we are doing that at scale. Like everyone is doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how to solve it. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. Um, it's not. It's right. not trivial. I think. Um, I, I think I'm. I'm. I'm bullish about. The, the next generations coming up. I think millennials and Gen Z um, are much more aware of this kind of thing. And a lot of, a lot of my friends from uh, who, who are a lot younger than me have a lot less materialistic lifestyles. So they still have great lifestyles. You know, they, they travel, um, they uh, they spend a lot of time with trends, they do uh, with friends, they do interesting sports. They, they've got a lot of art and culture in their lives, but they don't, they're not very accumulative um, as, as, um, as people have aspired to be in the past. So I think um, I think that's a slow way of doing it. Educating your kids—it's <laughs> a slow way of doing it. Um, obviously, you know, having um, working with celebrities uh, is is helping. So Robert Downey Jr., the uh, the real life Iron Man, although they say that's Elon Musk, don't they? But Rob, Robert Downey Jr. is part of a, a fund a bit like mine in the states, and and so that that is obviously helping to uh, to to raise awareness. Um, I mean, it's it's partially the media's job, it's the government's job, it's the parents' job, it's the job of teachers. Uh, I don't know to to raise awareness. I think I think what industry can do, what what uh, what startups can do, is to offer people a an, a useful alternative, an alternative which is better. It's clearly better, and maybe it's ten times better, and it's also better for better for the environment. Um, you know, so in the way that Tesla um, made an electric car, which was which was voted by um, you know a lot of a lot of publications the best car in the world, right? So I think that's what you need. You need a car which is exceptional. And now the Ford F one fifty, there's an electric version of that, the most popular car in America. There's an electric version of that, 
and it's going to be glorious. And I think that could only really happen because some brave soul somewhere spent 10 years, maybe 12 years, hundreds of millions of dollars producing a product which was 10 times better than the alternative and better for the planet. So I think that's, you're asking earlier, what's the opportunity for uh, for founders? That's that's the opportunity because in agriculture, in in uh, in construction, in uh, in materials, in uh, in fashion, uh, in in food, uh, in forestry, you know, in all of these areas, in generating energy, um, in medicine, there's 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 a requirement for for the world to do something different. So can you, as a founder, create something which is ten times better than the alternative in one of those spaces? Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, that needs to be done. And uh, talking about the investment side of things, so while while these pitches are coming to you. On what basis are you evaluating the startup pitches? Uh, like, what all things do you look for in a company while thinking that can this be a big business or not? The um, the the fundamental thing we look for is is size of impact. Uh, we we look for companies that we think can get to ten megatons a year or more. Um, as as we said earlier, the price of carbon is going up like this is going up kind of almost exponentially, um, and. So anybody who's doing anything in the carbon space, there's, there is going to be a lot of money in that space. So we we tend to think that um, we tend to think that impact drives returns. And so if some if a company is able to get to ten megatons a year, then that will be a very very successful business because that you know that's a lot. That's like um, that's like negating the the impact of a million people in the UK. In India, where probably everybody's carbon footprint is lower. In India, you know it's it's maybe. Maybe ten million. I don't know, uh, six million, perhaps. Um, so it's a lot. It's huge. That's the first thing that we look for. We 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 look for. Do we do we believe that this company could get to a very large scale of impact? If they do, if we if we think if we've got a good feeling that we think that they could, and the founders look like they're motivated to to make that happen, then then we we take a closer look, and then we look at whatever normal seed stage VCs look for, which is is the size of the market enormous. Which it would need to be in order for them to get to ten megatons, and is do we believe that this founding team are going to be able to nail that? Uh, I mean, that's that's typically what early stage founders um, look for: size of the op- uh, sorry, early stage VCs. Is the size of the opportunity enormous, and do we believe that this is the team that uh, that, that can attack that? Then, of course, we we look for things like do we do we feel that this this company is going to have a moat? You know, is it going to have something surrounding it protecting it from uh, from competition? And that might be that they're first to market and they're moving very fast. It might be that they've got patents. It might be that they've got some kind of know-how that it would be very difficult for other people to come by. You know, so e.g., they've they've just done a PhD in the subject, or you know, they've just finished working at an organisation where, which is one of the first in the one of the only ones in the world to be doing this. Um, yeah, some kind of motive, but it's mainly size, the opportunity, and uh, you know how awesome the founders are. And when in the in the buckets of how awesome are the founders, um, we're we're trying to be more metric driven about that. And we look at things like, uh, what's your network like, right? So as a founder, you want to you want to do this thing. If you have got a really great network in this space, uh, have you got grit? You know, when when you have you got lots of energy and uh, you know fight and drive. And if uh, if you suffer knocks, because as a founder you're going to suffer many many knocks, and you're going to psychologically internally as well as externally you're going to suffer a lot it's very hard being a founder uh how are you with that kind of challenge you know do, are you resilient when people knock you down do you get back up that's another one um are you a good evangelist 
Uh, can you sell your idea? Can you make people believe that this thing that you want to create out of raw cloth, this thing that doesn't exist, doesn't exist yet. Can you make people believe that it will exist? Um, and, and we look for, so we've got 10 metrics like that that we look for. Um, and we, we look for that. They don't all need to be present in one founder, but if within the founding team, you score quite highly on, on those metrics, then that's a good sign. Yeah. Like it's good to hear that. And like early stage investing is a lot, uh, about the founding team and how good they are. Uh, and I love that the, you have like dedicated focus on that aspect of while you're investing. Amazing. And uh, t- talking about uh, diligencing these, uh, opportunities. So, uh, since some of these can be like really technical startups, right? And you might not always have, have the kind of expertise to diligence these companies and uh, are they doing what they say or they claim that they are doing? So how, how do you then go about diligencing uh, these startups? There's, uh, there's, there's two sides to this. Uh, the, the first side is that companies, companies are, are more the same as each other than they are different to each other, right? The things that companies need to do, they, they, need, to, they need to win customers, they need to manage their finances. They need to they need to run a tech platform. Um, they need to they need to have a good operational spread. They're, they're all the same across all companies. The the reason that that uh, the companies fail, there's only probably ten of them, you know, and and there's probably four four reasons that that are responsible for maybe eighty percent of of company failures. So companies are very similar um, in most ways. It, there'll be a nucleus of things right at the right at the heart of a company where it's different to any other company, and uh, and that will be perhaps because their tech or their business model or something like that is unique. Um, in the cases where it's the tech that's unique, then then sometimes we're just completely unqualified to uh, to uh, to gauge whether that whether that will work or not. Um, so we you know we're looking at a nuclear fusion um, company at the moment, and uh, a nuclear fusion company is a company. It's a company, right? So can this founder hire people? Um, you know, let let's look at the tech that he's built so far. Let let's look at the software that he's written so far. Let's look. Do we do we feel like great after speaking to him? If we feel great after speaking to him, he's an evangelist, right? So we we believe he can sell. But I, although I'm I'm a strong amateur of fusion, and I'm um, I've spent a lot of my my time just for fun reading about fusion, over, you know, over the past uh, ten years. I'm not an expert, and so I have to reach out to people who are experts uh, to to help us with that. Uh, and we 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 found that that normally. Uh, people are very happy to help, uh, and we offer to, we offer to pay for that help. But often people will just help because they they love the field and they they want to they want to they want to further that field and they want they want to, they want the market to grow, even if they're in that market. Uh, so when we were looking at the first deal that we did was which was a soil science company, we reached out to one of the world's most eminent soil scientists uh, for this fusion company. We spoke to the the founder's PhD supervisor and uh, somebody from uh, from Imperial who. Um, who is a professor of uh, of plasma physics at Imperial? We spoke to all the VCs who've invested in fusion before to ask them, you know, how what how, what do they see about the market? What do they see a space for you know for a company doing this particular thing um, in the market? You need you need help. You can't ex- like like you can't expect the founder to be all things to all people. He needs a team. You know, we we need we need friends as well who can help us. Right, right, absolutely. And uh, like I I learned that you uh, Climate VC is a fund as well as a syndicate. Uh, is that correct? That's right. So Cl- Climbing PC is the name of our firm, and uh, we've got we've got one fund at the moment and a syndicate. Um, we we hope this is our this is our goal is to have is for our our firm to run multiple funds, 
as well as the syndicate. Awesome. So I, I wanted to learn how, how do these two work in tandem? Uh, do, do they ever collide for deal flow or something like that? How does the order of like once the deal comes in, who sees it first and things like that? Um, so the, the reason the syndicate came about is, um, is because, uh, A, syndicates are very easy to do in the UK. Um, it's very hard to set up a venture capital firm, uh, but it's easy to, to, to do syndicate investing. Um, and the, the reason it came about is because we, as, as I speak to high net worth individuals uh, to raise money for the fund, um, maybe a quarter of the, the people that I spoke to who liked what we were doing said, listen, we, I just don't invest in funds. I'm, I'm an angel investor. I love investing in companies. That's, my, that's why I get out of bed in the morning. It's, I mean, investing in companies as an angel investor is super fun. So I, I get where they're coming from. They want to have like a direct connection to the, to the company. So some people would just say, listen, thematically, I, I don't enjoy investing in funds. So I started asking people, well, if we find companies that we really like, do you want to hear about them? And uh, because most people say yes to that question, um, quite quickly, we ended up with a list of a lot of interested parties. Um, and more recently, we've started to kind of um, ask, collect data on what kinds of, specifically what kinds of things people are after. So we only invest, Climate BC is a firm, only invest in companies that we think can get to 10 megatons. Uh, but our but our angels have got more specific requirements. So some of them really like energy, some of them really like agriculture, uh, some of them really like transport, some of them like software, some of them like hardware. Um, so we've we started to collect that kind of data. And then we realized, actually, if we can, if we're running a syndicate, if we've got a syndicate, then it doesn't need to be uh, subject to the same restrictions as our fund. So our fund, our fund number one, um, is a specific UK thing. So it's it's called an EIS fund. It can only invest in companies that have got a significant presence in the UK. Um, typically, the check sizes will be quite small. The round sizes will be quite small. Um, so what we do with our syndicate, we, we invest in stuff that we that we like. <laughs> that, you know, So we invest in fund stuff. So sometimes that stuff won't fit the thesis of, um, of, of the fund. Um, so re- recently, we, we invested in a company called Undo, um, which is... Um, they do enhanced weathering, which is a way of speeding up this process that normally takes tens of thousands of years and, and getting that to happen very quickly, you know, over a few months. Um, and it's way too big for my fund. You know, my my, my fund invests in pre-seed, first check-in kind of checks, whereas this company is already very successful. But uh, me and a few of my friends, we wanted to invest in this, so we, we ran a syndicate for it. That's, that's how it came about. Uh, and what we'll tend to use it for is... Um, Stuff that's completely out of the out of scope for one of our funds, or for follow-on. Um, so we we strongly got the vibe that for our second fund we will do the same as we do for our first fund, which is we spend the whole fund. So what what a lot of venture capital firms do is if they raise a hundred million, they will take fifty or sixty million and set it to one side, and they will they will spend fifty or forty million. Um, They'll write checks of 50 or 40 million, maybe do 30 of those, and then sit back and wait to see who wins. A lot of these companies are going to fail. Which are the companies that aren't failing? Which companies do we want to follow up with? And so then they take that remaining 50 or 60 million and use that to invest at follow-on. Uh, we don't do that with Fund 1. We spend all of the money. Uh, and I think we will continue to do that with Fund 2. So that means that when, when companies win, and they go on to to raise more money, like uh, like one of our investments has done just recently. Uh, we don't we don't have any money left in our fund. So what we do is we create an SPV through our syndicate, and we say everybody who is in the fund gets first shout. You you can come and invest as a follow on if you like. Yeah, we've just done one of those actually, which is 
pretty fun. So easy to do. Does that answer your question? It does. It does pretty well. And it's great to listen how these two are operating in such a great way. Like everyone is winning here. Like I've, I've like previously hosted some GPs uh, who also ran both syndicates and VC. VC firms are like, uh, and like their answer was all the lines of like, okay, the VC fund sees the deal first and if it's not a fair, then it goes to the syndicate. But here it's like uh, more uh, like collaborative approach. Like the th- there's a thesis and if it fits the thesis, it doesn't fit the thesis, but still a great opportunity, it goes to the syndicate. And it, for a follow-on round, that was another unique aspect, right? We don't invest in follow-on rounds. We don't have any funds for that. But like, let's get the syndicate in for that one. Awesome approach. Right. So th- this one be my, will be my last question before we move on to the rapid fire round. Uh, and this one is about how do you how do you look at the future? Do you think we'll make it in time? Because everyone says that we're running out of time. Do you feel the speed of solutions and the speed of progress are we on track? It depends what day you ask me. Um, some sometimes I feel very down about uh, about our, about the progress that we're making, um, and and sometimes I feel amazing. You know, and I feel that we're on top of it. I think I think we've still got every chance. Um, I think we've still got a chance. Of, uh, of pulling it off, um, but you've maybe seen that that graph that shows um, we need we need to reduce the amount of uh, of of uh, CO two from here down to here, and we've got this many years. We, when, when we discovered this, like we we had like a hundred years or something. We had you know at least at least uh, fifty years to, to solve it, but because because we're trying to get from here to here, um, you know, the later we leave it, the steeper this curve needs to get. Um, and so, you know, now now we've kind of, I think the last time when I looked at this, last year we had eight years of carbon left. So if we're emitting, there's a budget that we've got to stay within if we don't want to go above 1.5 degrees C. And at the current rate of spending, we're going to blow through that in eight years. It might be seven years now. Uh, COP isn't really helping. Um, it's, you know, governments are not saying, right, this is it. We've, we, we've, we've decided we need to, India is actually, India is nailing it. India looks so good, right? So thanks, you guys, for, for nailing it. Shabash. We're very happy that, that you guys do that. Um, UK is not doing so badly. Daniyawad, daniyawad. <laughs> that just stands for thank you. Yeah, Maruha. Oh, awesome. Yeah, they're pretty good in this. You know Hindi pretty well, I believe. Thora, thora. So, uh, yeah. But he, he, but also said, many Hindi sub Bulgaria. It's a, so I forgot, I forgot all of my Hindi. Uh, what was I saying? Yeah. So India, India's not doing so, so badly. Uh, it's making commitments and sticking to those commitments that governments right. as a whole are not. Mm-hmm. So I, that's, I mean, that's why I'm working in this space. I, I think private, private funding, private companies, um, are, are the way, are the way forward. So we can pull it off, but we can't take our foot off the pedal. We can't be complacent. Absolutely. Like we got to have our feet on the pedal and like keep going full throttle. And uh, I hope we make it in time, right? But yeah, long way to go. All right, moving on to the rapid fire questions. I'll ask you five quick questions about the fund and you have to give five quick answers. Sounds good. Okay. What, what do you mean by quick? Like two sentences? What, 30 seconds? What, what do you mean by quick? I mean, these are like, you can give pretty specific answers to these questions, so okay. not a lot, of, not, not a lot of opinions, but mostly facts and figures, and it can take up okay. to thirty seconds. It's fine. So first one goes: What are the sectors and regions you invest in? We currently invest in most things. We don't invest in 
mobility. We don't invest in software that much, but we otherwise we invest in hardware, uh, climate tech stuff. We that we've got a preference for removals. We very very much like removals. We like ag, um, and I've I've got a I've got a penchant for anything which is which is hard, uh, physics based stuff like uh, like energy. Got it. So the next one is what's the typical stage of investment? Early stage. So first check in. We we like to be first check in if we can be. So pre seed, pre revenue. Got it. And what's the typical tech size? Typical from our fund will be um, fifty to one fifty um, GBP. So pounds fifty to one hundred and fifty pounds. Um, but that we typically like to participate with others. So we we try to bring others to the table as well. Uh, so there, it will normally be more than that that, that we that we bring to the table. Got it. And uh, where can founders pitch? On our website, climate.vc. If you go to climate.vc, there's a button there that you uh, a button on there where you can upload your pitch and um, get in front of our uh, investment committee, which meets on uh, on Mondays to look at the pipeline. Uh, that's that's the easiest way. Um, I mean, you know what they say about VCs. It's better to get an introduction than it is to, to go through the front door. I'm always a big yeah. fan of anybody who manages to come through the side door. This, 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 here's a tip. Here's a tip for, for getting uh, for getting more people, more VCs calling you back. And it's to figure out what their thesis is. What do they like? What Look at the kinds of deals they've done before. Read through the thesis and understand it. Uh, try try and think: Is your is your company a really good fit for this? Because if it isn't, you won't get you won't get called back by VCs typically. Typically, VCs will call you back if they're looking for something very very specific, and you provide that thing which is very very specific. So we look for ten megatons a year. We get we get hundreds of decks where they're, they're nowhere near ten megatons a year. If you've done your homework to to say, listen, here's here's our calculations on the back of the back on on the back of a it may, maybe even in, in a deck. Uh, and we we can tell that your mission is to get to that level of impact. Then, then we are more likely to be interested. Right. Yeah, that's great advice for for any founder that's listening. So the last question is on the rapid fire. Uh, where can our listeners follow you on LinkedIn? Yeah. So I'm my name's Pete Pete Denny. It's written, I think it's written down here. Uh, so you can follow me on on, on LinkedIn. Uh, we we put we post a lot on, on LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. What Great. Uh, I'll make sure to plug all those links in the show notes below. Thank you for coming on, Pete. It was great talking to you. I uh, love the conversation and the chats, insights you shared and have been investing. Yeah, cool. Thanks a lot. <laughs> absolutely. 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 Like, great meeting you. That's what it means for our English listeners. Thank you for coming on, Pete. Yeah. And cool. Thanks. Have a good yeah, afternoon. Let's have more conversations in Hindi going forward. All right. Cool. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye.